Welcome to Dish the Dirt, a light-hearted and fun podcast about Australian flower growers, their stories, knowledge and insights into the industry. I'm your host Rebecca and each week I speak to a different farmer and get them to dish the dirt. Dish the Dirt acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which we work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Good morning and welcome to episode 6, season 4 of Dish the Dirt. I created a playlist this week because I've been asking people what their favourite songs are on the flower patch this season and... Um, it was brought to my attention that some of the people from the previous seasons wanted to share their songs too. So you can jump onto Spotify and find Dish the Dirt Flower Tunes. I believe that's what I've named it. So I think if you just type in Dish the Dirt, it'll pop up. But you can add your tunes on there. And then I guess it's just fun to hear what everyone's playing in their flower patches, even around the world. So if you're not in Australia, you can participate too. Um, I think it's just a bit of fun, especially with what we're going through in Australia at the moment let's just come together and have a bit of a boogie in our gardens or on our balconies or in our flower patches so today's story is a bit of a different one from those I have shared before Adrian Parsons has 30 years in the flower industry growing breeding exporting and importing he is now based in Melbourne and runs Helix Australia which is a breeder of wax flower and baronia Being able to hear about the more commercial side of farming is interesting and I think it's important that we understand and value everyone's role in this industry. Dish the Dirt is about sharing stories and creating discussions about Australian grown flowers and this episode definitely I think will do that. It was wonderful to have you on the show Adrian. Thank you so much for sharing your story about Helix Australia and your past in the flower industry. Let's get into it. Good. Where are you based? I am in the Yarra Valley. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I was in Northcote in the yep. city for years and we moved out here two years ago. So, oh, so yeah. are you growing? No, I'm a florist. Oh. Um, yeah, I started the podcast because I was buying from flower farmers and had lots of um, freelancers coming through the business who would say, oh, where did you get that bucket of flowers from? Or where are you picking that up from at market? Or, you know, and I just felt like the education wasn't out there about where things were coming from. So I decided to start this podcast and get farmers' voices out there. Oh, very good. Um, yeah, so that's why it all started. But I have absolutely no knowledge of growing. <laughs> I'm a well, I'm a very novice gardener. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm not amazing, but it's not about me. It's about you. So, okay. would you like to begin by telling me how you started in the flower industry? Um, yeah, thanks for having us on, Rebecca. So, I've been involved in the flower industry. Yeah, my whole life. Um, so as a child, um, very keen gardener, um, mm. quite a passionate gardener as a kid. So used to propagate my own 
hydrangea cuttings and sell them at local markets. Um, Very keen on turf and grass. Mm. So it took a lot of pride in my my home uh, lawns. Dad let me have free reign on that. Uh, Oh, nice. My early days actually wanted to sort of be in that turf industry, be a greenkeeper. Mm. Um, Did some work experience at the MCG which was fantastic because I'm a cricket and football nut as well. But, yeah, sort of my dad sort of said, look, you might want to look a little bit broader. Um, so, yeah, stuck to the horticultural channel, but, yeah, not just focused on turf and worked for local florists and nurseries when I was at school. Um, and then after school went and studied and did a degree in horticulture in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And after that, entered the cut flower industry as a working for a wholesaler, Impulse Flowers in Melbourne. Yeah. Way, way back in 1987. Yeah, um, wow. Did, did a year or two there and then I spent two years um, working in cut flower markets around the world. So did the typical Aussie backpacker thing but worked in flowers everywhere I went. So yeah. worked in uh, for a cut flower grower in uh, Minnesota in America um, a cut flower importer in Canada, um, a flower wholesaler in England, um, yeah. worked in Holland for six months at the flower auctions there and then finished up yeah, working for a, a flower grower in Israel before, wow. uh, before coming home in the early 90s. Yeah. And what was the industry like back then, back in 1987? What- the, the Australian industry? Yeah, the Australian industry. Um, well, you know, obviously a lot smaller. Um, the big growers, there were some big rose growers around in, in mm. Melbourne at the time. Um, Grandy Flora, which is still a big grower. Van Wyck was a big grower. Mm. Um, yeah, it was, it was more Dutch or Australian um, Based background people at the time, yeah. Um, yeah. Some some Italian, some Greeks. Yeah, in recent in the last sort of twenty years in Melbourne, particularly a lot of Albanian flower growers. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, the the structure of the industry was fairly similar. There were wholesale markets in all the capital cities. Yeah. Um. Wholesalers were the main route of distribution to retail florists. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was no internet and online and emails and those things. Yeah. So yeah. communications were harder. Transport infrastructure was was not as good as it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the basic structure of the industry was quite similar. The supermarkets yeah. were... We're obviously starting their their trade in flowers, but it was very small and very poor quality. And yeah, supermarket flowers didn't have a have a have a great reputation back then. Yeah. So with having the transport industry not being as strong, yep. was that meaning that people were buying a lot more local? Do you think back then? Oh, oh definitely. I mean, Im- imported flowers existed back then, but it was. Mm on a very small scale and it was very seasonal. Um, So typically imported flowers started at Mother's Day um, where where wholesalers used to bring in roses from Holland. Yeah. Um, Old varieties like Gabrielle and Mercedes, which don't exist anymore. Uh, Cymbidium orchids. 
Um, there was anthuriums coming in from Mauritius back then. There was mm. Singapore orchids were coming in. Uh, but, yeah, the, the volume of imports was considerably less mm. uh, and, yeah, in a very small window, like a two- or three-month window in winter when, yeah, local local supplies were, were not enough. But once we hit spring and summer, yeah, imports didn't didn't really exist in, in sort of roses and carnations and lines like that. Yeah, well, wow. So going away for that period of time and working in places like Minnesota and England and yep. Holland, yep. what did you bring back to the to Australia after working in those places? Uh, um, I suppose I brought back a, a true understanding of scale. Um, mm. You know, we, we are... We were and we still are, you know, quite a backwater in terms of scale in the global flower industry. Mm. So, yeah, it gave me a real insight into how big the flower industry is and and given that my first sort of major business was in exporting, um, Mm. it it gave me a real understanding of of what we were selling into, uh, the volume potential for flowers from Australia for export and the quality demands that needed to be a player, you know, the, the grading and consistency in Holland is just like out of this world. Yeah. Um, and, and that trip or that travel really taught me that if we are to be considered fair income, then, then we have to have very good quality and very good consistency. Yeah. So Holland is quite a small country. How do you think they managed to produce and export so many flowers? Yeah, I mean, the, the scale and efficiency of the Dutch flower industry is phenomenal. It, it is yeah. a small country geographically, but yeah. the productivity that a typical Dutch grower can achieve is mind-blowing. Um, yeah. they're, they're so inventive, they're very entrepreneurial, and um, yeah, what they've achieved in cut flowers and vegetable growing, glasshouse vegetable growing, um, is amazing. And you know, they set up the Dutch auctions, you know, hundreds of years ago and Holland has become like the epicentre of the world flower industry. It's a trading hub. So mm. even if flowers aren't grown in Holland, so much of the world's flowers are traded through Holland. Um, yeah, wow. it's, a, it's a gateway to, to hitting America, China, uh, Russia, mm. you know, just plane loads and play loads. And now boatloads, sea freight is becoming a big, a big means of transport for flowers. Um, wow! Holland, Holland is just the the, the epicenter, even at a breeding and new varieties, greenhouse technology, you name it. Holland is number one by a long way. Yeah! Wow. So coming back and then bringing what you saw over there back to Australia, uh, how is that? How has your career gone from there? So when I came back, um, mm. 1990, and with you know two years sort of global experience under the belt, thought I was pretty good and pretty qualified, and people <laughs> would be keen to give me a job. And it was um, it was a recession in Australia at the time, and mm. the economy was in a power of pain, and there were no jobs to be had. So I thought, oh well, I'll start my own business. <laughs> mm-hmm. So with no real plan or strategy, and no real understanding of how to go about running a business. I set up a, a, a small wholesale business called Man of Flowers. Yeah. 
Um, I developed like a branded rose bouquet that I was selling in a point of sale unit to hospitals and news agents and high volume traffic environments. That sort of got me going. There wasn't enough volume and scale in that. So then I started wholesaling flowers, mm. started, started representing interstate growers within the Melbourne market. Okay. Uh, and then I started sending Melbourne flowers interstate. Mm. Uh, and then I partnered with a company in Western Australia called Wayfex. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a very close relationship and after four or five years, I, I merged my business into Wayfex and became a partner in that yeah. company, um, which had started uh, importing and exporting flowers um, based in Perth. Yeah. Wow. So that has now brought you after Wayfex. What happened after that? Did you... Yeah, so has that brought you to Helix now? Okay. So, yeah, my I was a partner in Wayfex for over 20 years. Mm. And, yeah, with my partner, Craig Musson, you know, we grew that business into considerable size, um, mm. e- exporting to over 15 countries. Um, yeah, wow. We set up farms in Western Australia and Victoria, um, importing as well to sort of complement the export side of the business. Mm. Um, yeah, in 2008, um, so wax flower, which is a, a native flower of Western Australia, that yeah. was always our biggest export crop. Okay. And so the Australian wax flower season was typically July to December, yeah. which was counter-seasonal to wax flower that was grown overseas. So Israel is the biggest wax flower grower in the world. Their season is the opposite to Australia, as is California. Yeah. So okay. for that for that July, December window, Australia was the only wax flower supplier in the world. Mm-hmm. But by the early 2000s, we started to get competition from Southern Hemisphere producers in Peru and South Africa. Okay. And we, we realised unless we stayed ahead with breeding of new varieties and mm-hmm. we had something special and premium, our days as a wax flower grower and trader were numbered. So in mm. t- 2008, we set up Helix Australia. Um, we ran that concurrent with uh, Wayfex. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2015, when I exited Wayfex, I took on pretty well full time developing the Helix model. Yeah. Um, so Helix Australia is a breeder of new varieties of wax flower and baronia. Mm-hmm. Um, we do all our breeding in Western Australia. Once we come up with a good variety, we put a copyright on it, which is called plant breeders rights. Yeah. Which, which stops other people from growing it um, illegally. Yeah. Uh, and then we then started licensing those varieties to growers around the world. Okay. So, yeah, wax flower, obviously it's a big crop in Australia, but it's grown on a much, much larger scale in Israel, South Africa, Peru and California. Mm. So, yeah, my job has been increasing the number of varieties that that we can put onto the market and then setting up licenses and deals with growers around the world, uh, both in cut flowers and pot plants and mm. yeah, managing, managing that, that cycle and, and business model. Explain what your scale of farming is in comparison to some of the farmers that I speak to. Yeah. I mean, so the, the, the growers, the licensed growers that we have for Helix Wax Flower are, 
uh, are very large, um, mm. you know, sort of 10, 10 to 30 hectare type plantations yeah. who are planting our waxes over with flowering over about a five or six month window, um, you know, harvesting, you know, big volumes, you know, mm. 10, 20, 30,000 bunches a week, um, which is massive. Massive volume, but when you when you tip that volume into this into the global market, it's actually quite small. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the scale of the growers that we deal with is very large um, compared to yeah, I'm sure a, a lot of your listeners and people that follow you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what do you think that the smaller scale flower farms can learn from these bigger scale flower farms? Yeah, um, I mean, being big doesn't always mean you're good or the best, but, mm. you know, the, the good, successful big growers that I've been involved with, um, yeah, quality is number one. Um, mm. Being very strict on quality control and grading and being prepared to throw flowers away that don't meet that quality uh, level. Yeah. Um, being very consistent with quality and supply, not, not having a 1,000 bunches this week and nothing next week, trying to be in the market for a long period of time so yeah. that your customer, be it the wholesaler or retailer, can rely on you. Mm. Um, you know, nothing's more frustrating for a wholesaler and a retailer that start to get a bit of momentum with a grower and he's given an indication it's going to have X volume over X weeks and then it just stops. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, being, being consistent, um, branding, you know, I, I think no matter what your scale, you should always be looking to brand your crop in some shape or form. Mm. It doesn't have to be a fancy printed plastic sleeve. It can be a very simple tag, a very simple tie. But, yeah, I'm a great believer in, in always trying to brand so that you can communicate your, your crop and your message down the chain. If you're yeah. selling to a wholesaler, you want that brand to penetrate the retail florist. If you're selling to a retail florist, you want that brand to hopefully penetrate the consumer so that your customers' customers are asking for your brand. Um, yeah, they're, they're a couple of key uh, takeouts from, from what big growers do well. Yeah, and... By branding, I know that Helix is going into not using as many plastic sleeves. Is that yep. right? Yeah. So as you'd be aware, the, all the big growers in Australia, around the world, brand, put their name on it, which is, which is a great strategy. Um, there's a real, obviously, anti-plastic push globally now because of the mm. environmental damage. Traditionally, our Helix waxes were in a plastic sleeve. And, you know, the, the motive was that is we wanted retail florists asking the wholesalers for Helix Wax because it yeah. was hopefully better, better varieties, better colours, more reliable, uh, and that strategy has worked really well. So you'll often see wholesalers on their price lift will, will have Wax Flower Helix and mm. Wax Flower Other. Um, okay. And, yeah, so... But, yeah, we wanted to reduce our plastic, our environmental footprint. So it, we didn't get it right initially. We, we <laughs> ran with like a small plastic tag last year, which we clipped onto the bunch. Okay. Um, it was plastic, but it was still a considerable reduction in plastic to a sleeve. Mm. Unfortunately, the tag didn't clip on quite well and oh, no. it was a bit of a failure. But this year, 
I got an idea. I saw a bunch of broccolini in the supermarket that had a nice little cardboard tag tied around the bunch, and I thought that'll work for our wax. So, yeah, contacted some printers, and we've now got just a little biodegradable cardboard tag saying Helix on all our bunches. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I, that'll that's going to save us yeah, tons and tons of um, plastic that would otherwise end up in landfill. Yeah, and do you think it makes a financial change as well? Is it cheaper to go that way? Or? Um, it's, it's really cost neutral. Um, yeah, okay. You know, I mean, the size of the tag is, you know, it's smaller than a um, sort of 100 mil. And you, you mm. compare that to a, a massive plastic tag, you'd, you'd think the cost saving would be considerable. Uh, the, the, the sleeves are manufactured overseas. They're relatively cheap. So it's yeah. it's not a cost saving. Okay. Um, it may even be a little. It's it's probably a little bit more expensive. But yeah. yeah, we just wanted to send a message that we, yeah, we're fair income about you know reducing our environmental footprint. Yeah, amazing. And do you think in the past that by wrapping in plastic, it has just been mainly about branding, or is it to protect flowers as oh, well? Oh, both, both. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Flowers, you know, tulips, lilies, roses, you know, they need protection. Mm. So the, the next challenge, which is happening, is to come up with a protective packaging that's either using recycled plastic, yeah. which is a good step, or using a material that's biodegradable, you know, something like cornstarch. Yeah. So in Holland now, there's companies using recycled plastic for their sleeves. Mm. Um, so that's a step in the right direction. And the challenge on, you know, using, I'll use cornstarch as an example. Yes, it's got the environmental tick, but as yet we can't quite get the quality of print that's required. So yeah. it, it'll happen. The, it, the, the printing people will work it out. But, you know, a lot of crops need protection. They get moved around in buckets, in boxes and beaten from pillar to post and, and yeah. shipped all around the country and you've got to protect them in some way. So sleeves won't go, just the material they're made of will change hopefully. Yeah, wonderful. So what do you think that smaller scale farmers can bring to the Australian flower industry? Yeah, I mean, small growers have got a huge role to play. Um, they tend to grow more niche varieties, so it widens the range that a florist can buy. Um, they're obviously a smaller scale, smaller size. They can respond quicker um, to market trends and a big grower, you know, big growers who have got hectares and hectares of glass and who have ordered their bulbs from Holland, you know, two years ahead. It's very difficult for them to, to change track if yeah. markets move, whereas a smaller grower can, can, you know, respond in a sort of six, 12-month period. Um, so, yeah, just, just variety, being closer to the customer. Typically, smaller growers are dealing directly with the, the wholesaler face-to-face -face or with the retailer face-to-face -face, or if they've got a farm gate operation, you know, directly with the consumer. So being able to deal really close to your end market, you can spot trends and see opportunities quicker and better than what a big grower can. Yeah. And do you think that the smaller scale, because you've seen farms on a huge scale, yep. do you think that 
you know, a lot of the smaller scale farmers are bringing in kind of chemical free no-till methods. Do you yep. think that any of those are possible to eventually bring in to the bigger scale farms? Um, I mean, given what's happening, I suppose, at the vegetable level, um, mm. you know, where obviously there's a, there's a much, there's growth in organic farming and reduced chemicals and reduced tillage and things like that. Um, yeah, definitely, mm. definitely. Um, the old catch on organic farming and things is it typically costs more. Yeah. So, you know, growers need to be paid more for that product and, and communicating that message to wholesalers and florists that oh, why is your product $3 more? Well, because I'm not using chemicals, because I'm doing things in an environmental way, my yield is not as big, you know, it, there is a cost. So mm. that's always the, the big conundrum of selling organics is convincing the consumer that you're going to have to pay more. Yeah. So how would a flower farmer, I don't know, apply to become a Helix Wax flower grower? How do, how do people apply to sell your product? Yeah, so waxes, you know, they don't grow all around Australia. They're very mm. cl climatically specific. Um, wax is native to an area uh, called Geraldton in sort of central coast, Western Australia. Incredibly hot, incredibly dry, you know, 40-degree mm. summers, sandy, draining soils and no frost. Okay. So, Zero frost is, is, is crucial. Any growers that are in a frosty area, wax won't grow. Um, so not Victoria then? <laughs> well, no, I mean, we, we have wax grown, you know, oh, wax okay. is grown in Victoria, predominantly in the Grampians region. Okay. Um, yeah. Near Horsham there, that's a big, where they grow thryptamine and wax yeah. flower is a big crop up there. So, yeah. um, but the majority of wax in Australia is grown in Western Australia. Mm. Um, South Australia also. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if growers are interested, you know, they need to contact me if they just visit our website at helixaustralia.com.au yeah. um, and, and we can talk. But, yeah, it, it's, it's probably our crop is or our model is not really targeted at small growers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, want to be upfront about that. It, if if yeah. a grower is interested, it it would need to be at a reasonable scale. Yeah. Uh, and that just, that's our model that helps us manage, us, manage the program and the marketing and, and we, we're not out to have hundreds of small growers spread throughout the country. Yeah. So how do you see the industry as a whole and what do you, do you think that the industry is evolving at the moment? Yeah, I mean, the industry's... You know, obviously COVID's been a, a huge uh, challenge for all of us, but the flower industry and the nursery plant industry where Helix varieties also feature, mm. um, you know, it's, it's been very strong. So industry has had a, a great 12 months of very high demand, prices are up, um, you know, imports for a period there, really dried up which really helped the local growers um it, it pushed prices up but it showed that without imports there was some big gaps in the market um and if we had zero imports um this might be controversial but 
yeah, our industry would die. Um, we mm. we need imports in conjunction. So uh, the the industry is strong um, in terms of evolving. As I alluded, you know, volumes through supermarkets are growing and will continue to grow. Just by the way that people shop, you know, people mm -hmm. are at the supermarket every week and. If flowers are done well and quality and priced well and well presented, um, yeah, it, it's it's easy for that impulse sale to occur. Um, yeah. Online um, sales of of flowers is is really growing. COVID has helped that, but mm. yeah, just the the younger consumer is so switched on to buying everything online now. So um, yeah, that that will continue to grow, and the share the market share of online flowers will, will keep on growing as well. Um, we're seeing snippets of that online trading happening at a wholesale level, mm. uh, not to the degree that it is in Holland and the States where yeah, florists are, are placing all their orders online with their, with their wholesalers. So the, the industry is strong. The industry is healthy. Um, there's always room for quality. Uh, and there's always room for new niche products. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we've got a great future. You know, we need more young people in the industry. Um, you know, I look at the, the age profile of a lot of growers that I see in the markets and, um, yeah, they're, they're not getting any younger and we, yeah. we, we need more young people in the industry uh, to, to really keep us growing for the, for, for the future. Yeah, so just taking you back quickly yep. to the imports and all of that sort of stuff, yep. how do we get a really good balance so that we are still supporting our Australian flower farmers that yep. then can have imports coming into the country? How do you think that we balance that correctly? Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. I, I mean, Australian-grown flower, you know, will always sell first before an mm. imported flower. It's fresher. Um, it's competitive on price. Um, how do we get the balance right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, supermarkets, the flowers sold in supermarkets will predominantly be imported flowers. Um, why is that, do you think? Just sheer volume. You know, the, the, the companies that supply supermarkets need to order 100,000 bunches of roses next week and yeah, 20,000 right. bunches of chrysanthemums next week. And, mm. you know, so that volume is not available uh, locally. Mm. So they have to import to meet that demand. And that ends up in the in, – it, it's mixed and interspersed with local flowers. Um, I know there's a big push on – country of origin labelling so that we alert the consumer that this is an imported flower and this is an Australian flower. Mm. Um, that's great in theory but very challenging when you've got a mixed bouquet which yeah. has got lilies from Mombolk, roses from Kenya, chrysanthemums from Malaysia and leather fern from Guatemala. I mean, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, yeah. how do you communicate that to the consumer and, yeah. and does the consumer care? Um, some people will argue they do care. Um, I'm sure a percentage of the consumer market does care and is, wants to know where their food and clothes and flowers come from. But mm. I think the rank and file consumer wants good quality flowers that are reasonably priced that they can take home every week. 
So, yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I can't give you the, the answer there. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, how do you also think that we can get younger people in, in, interested in growing and, you know, um, get these farms, keep these farms going for generations to come? Yeah, that, that's a tough one also. Um, you know, the entry level for a young person to start, the cost, entry level costs are, are very high. So I suppose at a recruitment level, you know, encouraging farmers to be, you know, recruiting and almost apprenticeships for, for flower people. There used to be flower apprenticeship schemes. They still exist, but they're pretty small. So, yeah, I think we've just got to encourage uh, growers to be, yeah, re- trying to recruit a younger workforce. But that's hard because, yeah, the, the costs or the price that we can pay may not be competitive with what that young person can earn in other industries. Yeah. Do you think that's something that I know you've been on a lot of flower boards. Yep. Do you think that's something that they could sort of take on board and really try and push with? Like, whereas, I don't know, sending out scholarships and that sort of thing. Yeah, possibly. To just try and increase these. Possibly. But, yeah, but yeah the, the role of industry organisations in our industry has, has dropped off in the last 15, 20 years. Mm. You know, we used to have a strong state-based flower growers association in every state. Mm. Um, there's some states that have zero or very minimal grower organisations. It feels like the flower industry doesn't have a lot of interest in mm. associations and, and boards and committees, which is different to the nursery industry where I'm also involved, where they have very strong associations very strong training programs, strong marketing, a real sense of cooperation. But mm. unfortunately, the Australian flower industry, as long as I've been involved in it, we, we're not that good at cooperating and coming together. Why do you think that is? I don't understand uh, why, I, I don't why know. we're not. We're just, uh, we're just yeah, we're very individual in our approach, unfortunately, mm. and, and that costs us. Um, you know, as, as much as the, the industry is strong and flowers are selling out easily now, it may be different in a few years' time and we've never really come together at a marketing level. Um, mm. At a promotion level, we've just assumed the consumer will keep on buying our product. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot of competition, um, not yeah. from flowers, but other products chasing that discretionary consumer dollar. Um, and, yeah, I, I sort of worry that if we don't promote and come together and promote, um, yeah, our industry will stop growing. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, is there anything that you wanted to share about your flower journey that I haven't asked you or about breeding and about the Helix brand? Um, I, I, I suppose a, a message, just getting back to the branding, you know, with We've, we've tried to come up with new varieties and improved varieties that will excite and interest the market. Mm. That is occurring, but we're very always trying to brand at, at whatever level, be it on the bunch, be it in, in media. Any opportunity for growers to put their name to their product mm. is, is very important and, that, and that's a lesson I, I would, you know, Helix can share with the industry. Mm. Um, yeah, our, our 
business is growing well. Our investment in breeding is significant. Mm. We work closely with Kings Park Botanic Garden in Western Australia, who are doing the majority of our breeding and research at the moment. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's starting to convert. The pipeline of new varieties is, is, is great. Florists are really liking our product. Wax mm. flower is traditionally a, a filler flower, um, but through many of our varieties with bigger blooms and improved colours, they're being sold at retail on a straight bunch level. Mm. And at a breeding level, the size of wax flower that we're going to have in the next five or ten years could potentially be double what's on the market at present. Oh, wow. So it's almost coming into a feature flower space. And yeah. with that, hopefully higher value and higher interest from florists and consumers. Yeah, wonderful. Um, is wax flower an imported product? No, it, it's okay. not and it never will be. Um, the reason being... Wax flower is a member of the family Myrtaceae, mm-hmm. um, which is the same as uh, eucalyptus um, and a lot of other uh, big Australian genera. Uh, so Myrtaceae is a prohibited import, yeah. so it's not imported. I mean, season, seasonally, um, you know, wax flower would be, if it was allowed, it would be coming into the market counter-seasonal to Australian wax. Um, it, it would never be coming in at the same time. And and that's been another one of the wins from the imports that your florists are able to buy uh, peonies, for example. You know, you mm. can buy peonies from, from Holland and France in April, May and June yeah. um, when they're not on the Australian market. So yeah. some people would argue oh, it should only be available in spring. But, Again, as we've seen in fruit and vegetables, you know, we, we expect to get strawberries 12 months of the year. Um, we expect mm. to get asparagus 12 months of the year. So the consumer expects to get flowers when they want them. Uh, and But, yeah, going back to no, wax will, will never be imported into Australia. Okay. Um, taking it back to kind of this whole um, peonies and everything being able to, yep. is this something that, though, that is sustainable because we're looking at a world now where we've got global, you know, we do have a climate crisis and is this something that maybe we should be educating people towards is the seasonality of flowers or you believe that the consumer will always override that? I, I do believe the consumer will always override that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, our, our, our job, Australian growers, um, you know, the whole labelling issue, whilst it, it hasn't happened at an import level, you know, I encourage all Australian growers to put Australia all over their branding and packaging uh, mm. as a way of communicating to the consumer that it's grown in Australia. We, we do it with our, our wax. I mean, our company is called Helix Australia, so that, that helps. But, yeah, I'd encourage all growers who who have a scale that warrants it to make sure they've got Australian grown all over their, their, their branding and packaging. Yeah. What is the biggest piece of knowledge that you have to share with people? Um, yeah, I've been in business for about 30 years now, so I've made mm. pl- plenty of mistakes. Um, so I learned a few lessons on the way. Um, understanding prices and gross margins is probably a, a very big lesson 
that mm. I learnt and I would strongly encourage growers, no matter what their size, to truly understand your costs mm. and truly understand your pricing. Um, yeah. I've seen many great businesses uh, fail purely because they got their pricing model wrong. Yeah. Um, secondly, you know, for growers to really understand the whole distribution chain for your crop. So if you're supplying for a wholesaler, try and understand the next step in the chain. Try and understand the retailer's needs. Try and understand the consumer's needs. If you're selling to a retailer, try and understand the consumer's need. If you're selling farm gate, you've got a great opportunity to really ask lots of questions and and learn. So understand the full full distribution chain. And then finally, which which I've mentioned a few times, is yeah, yeah you know, branding your crop and, yeah. and and having real consistency in your quality that you're happy to put your brand to it. If you have a crop that's of poor quality but you can still sell it, that's fine. Just don't put your brand on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And you know, when you build a strong brand, it, it helps you get price premiums. And if the market is oversupplied, a strong brand can often achieve, you know, stable prices. Yeah. Um, you know, you will be revo- rewarded for being consistent and reliable. Um, but, yeah, encourage growers to, to put their name to their crop. Yeah, wonderful. And just something fun to kind of finish off on. If you mm-hmm. had to leave Helix really quickly, what three things would you be taking with you? <laughs> oh no you've got me there i wasn't ready for that one. <laughs> oh, i mean I, I thought i did well i said what's your favorite gardening tool and I, yeah i said my, my mower because uh my early days of uh wanting to be a greenkeeper and a curator um yeah i still love my grass so Awesome. Mower is my favourite gardening tool. I don't know if I'd take it with me, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Adrian. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we finish? Uh, no, thank you for on, Rebecca. And, yeah, congratulations on, on the great job you're doing, um, getting the word out there about flowers and um, giving smaller growers an opportunity to learn. I think, I think it's fantastic what you're doing. Again, thanks to Adrian for being part of Dish the Dirt. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. If you would like to find out more about Helix Australia, you can find them on helixaustralia.com.au. Thanks again to everyone who joins in every week and shares their stories. If you would like to share your story or you have something to say, please email me at dishthedirtpodcast at gmail.com. I am here to share anyone's stories, be it big, large. Maybe you are a flower industry body that would like to come onto the show and talk about what you're doing within the industry Um, this is a space for anyone again to share their stories and their knowledge and insights into the flower industry be it whatever background you come from so please hit me up I would love to hear your story it's all about building a stronger community together so I can't wait we've got another couple of weeks of um, flower farmers to share with you and some really exciting people coming up so Tune in next week for more flower stories and until then, enjoy the sunshine if you're getting any and keep being blooming fabulous.